All right, 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to pick up in verse 13. Before we do, we'll do a little background and then we'll catch you up and then we'll get into the text. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, I thank you for everyone who's here, none by chance, all by divine appointment. May you minister to every heart. Lord, as we look at persecution and the difficulties of life that the first century church went through and that we go through to a different degree today, Lord, I pray we'd be exhorted, encouraged, and strengthened in our walk with you. Lord, it's better to be in the fire with you than out of the fire without you. Lord, we want to be the men and women of God you've called us to be. Help us, Lord. Speak to us now by the power of the Holy Spirit. May man decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. So a quick background, it's a fairly quick background. So spiritual growth, depth and maturity are not only produced, but revealed through trials and suffering. See, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And it's been said that, you know, Christians are like tea bags. You know, you put them in hot water and you find out what's on the inside. Amen? And the same is true for us. When we go through the difficulties of life, we find out how strong we are spiritually. I've said this about the last two years. I don't think that the church has changed because of the pandemic. I think it's been revealed because of the pandemic. And our own walk with the Lord, again, as we walk faithfully with Him, we will know what it is to be a persecuted minority. Because here's the reality, there are more unbelievers than there are believers. There are more people who reject God than people have a relationship with God. You know, it's funny, you, list, you look at statistics and they'll say that like 80% of Americans say they're Christians. Well, we know that's not true because America would be different. Amen. And so we want to see that happen, and we want to continue to pray that that would happen. But here's my concern. Anybody who just calls themselves a Christian doesn't, doesn't mean that you know the Lord. And it's not about a religion. It's not about showing up at church from time to time. And it's not about maybe looking at your Bible. But it's about having a relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Is Jesus Christ your best friend? Does he occupy your thoughts and your mind and your passions? Is he the reason that you live and move and breathe? That's what it means to be a Christian. Amen? To fall in love with the Lord. For, the, for most of us, the work of, of, uh, we work amongst mostly unsafe people. If you've got a job, unless you work at a Christian organization or you're really blessed, you probably work with people that aren't saved. If you're going to a, a public school, you're probably surrounded by mostly people who don't know the Lord. Most of us, whatever neighborhood we live in, there's people all around us that are unsaved. And for some of us, we go to Thanksgiving dinner and much of our family is not saved. Now, God puts us where he puts us for a reason, God has you living where you live, working where you work, the family that you're in. God has put you there to be salt and light, to point people to the Lord, to represent Jesus Christ. You've heard it said that you're the only Jesus some people may ever see. Some are even persecuted. And that's what happened in the first century church. As Peter's writing this letter, persecution has come to the early church because they were standing for the things of God. And this is the time when Christians began to be uh, persecuted, uh, used for sport, being fed to lions. They'd be set on, covered in pitch and set on fire by Caesar Nero. They're, all these things were happening to Christians. So because of that persecution, the Christians had spread out and the gospel went with them. And so Peter's writing this letter to a largely persecuted church. And some of them who had given their life to God, their families had not, and they're being persecuted by their families. So they're being persecuted by their families or disowned by their families and persecuted by the world. So Peter is writing this letter 
to remind them, to encourage them, and to strengthen them. We won't get to it in depth until next week, but he's going to give us a couple examples of, that we can follow. One of them is Noah. And you know, Noah, it's easy just to think about him as a children's story and all the animals got on a boat, and, uh, and that's all true. But Noah spent 120 years building a boat when it had never rained. And he caught a lot of static from a lot of people who thought he had lost his mind. You're building a what? What is that? Amen? It has never rained. Water's going to fall from the sky. Everybody thought he was crazy. And for 120 years, not only did he build a boat when it had never rained, but he preached the, the fact that people needed to repent and that people needed to get on the boat to be saved. The, the ark is a picture, a type of our Savior. Guys, our safety from the judgment that is to come is being in Christ. Amen? And he's going to talk about that. And then the second one he's going to talk about is the Lord. So whatever persecution we may be facing, which is nothing compared to most of the world, he gives us an example. He gave them an example because they were going through great persecution, and he points them to those who were more persecuted than they were. So what's happening is there, he's telling them, yeah, you're being persecuted, but there's people who've gone through far worse. We may be going through difficulty. Some of us, maybe your job's on the line for stands you're making. Some people are fleeing our state because of the, the rules that are here. And if the Lord leads you to do that, do that. But make sure you're moved by the Lord and not by your circumstances. Amen? God needs Christians in California. We need to stay here and be salt and light. Amen? California needs Jesus. You know, most of my family's in Colorado, and people keep saying to me, when are you going to move there? You know, all my kids, grandkids, all, for the most part, are all in Colorado, and my son-in-law pastors a church out there, and I said, I'm not going anywhere until God tells me to go, and I plan on being here until the Lord comes back, but God can do with my life whatever He wants, because California needs Jesus, yeah. and we need to be not ashamed of the gospel, amen? And so, as He's exhorting and encouraging them about persecution, I pray that we'd be exhorted and encouraged too. Again, our, our persecution isn't being fed to lions. It would be interesting, I've mentioned this, if you thought you could be fed to a lion if you came to church, how many of you guys would show up and who'd be watching on live stream? Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> amen. Some of us don't come because you've got to walk up the hill. So I, I know lions would keep you, out of the, keep you out of the building. Our persecution is far more tame. It might be a harsh word. It could be a lost job or promotion. It could be a lower grade on a paper. It could be family and friends who persecute you or mock you or refuse to have anything to do with you. And while the world will have no love for us, we are to love one another. Now, we looked at that last week. And if you were not here last week, let me go through that quickly, and then we'll dig into this morning's text. But just remember that God has you here for a reason. And it's like shining a bright light into a dark place. You know, when you show up, the Bible says that we are the light of the world because we're a reflection of Him. Amen. We want to be the moon. What does the moon do? It reflects the sun. We don't reflect the S-U-N, we reflect the S-O-N. Amen? And so wherever we go, we are light. But you know what? When you bring a bright light into a dark place, people don't like it. You ever been in a room before and someone turns on the light when you're trying to sleep? You get immediately angry. <laughs> Turn that off. Don't like bright lights. Well, guess what? When you show up, you just brought the light right into the room. Amen? When you show up at work, the bright light just showed up. And we're called to be salt and light, and some people aren't going to like it. And don't be a self-righteous person. Be kind, be humble. But again, we need to point people to our Savior. As Christians, wherever we go, the Holy Spirit goes with us. So when you get to work, you are the light. 
And the Holy Spirit just entered the building, and God wants to speak in you and through you. You know why the people don't, you know why people don't like Christians? Well, first of all, they don't like it because it brings conviction. You know, if we just let live and let live, your very presence, now especially, you think it's bad, when you're a pastor, people really panic because they'll cuss and then they'll apologize to me. Most of you guys don't have a full-time job, they'll cuss and they'll go, oh, pastor, I'm so sorry. Oh, I, I forgot you're a pastor, I'm sorry. I go, well, don't worry about me, God hears you all the time. <laughs> Amen? And the point is that when the Holy Spirit shows up, when we show up, there's conviction. And the same reason the people were persecuting the early Christians, it was convicting to have them say, you missed the Messiah, that Jesus is the one, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead. People don't want to hear that. And guys, guess what? We need to be unashamed of the gospel. And we need to love people enough to tell them the truth, even when they don't want to hear it. Amen? And pray for divine appointments. And pray that God would soften people's hearts so they'd be ready to receive what the Lord has for them. Conviction is seen by most as an irritation that is getting in the way of what they want to do. They don't like it. As spirit-filled believers, it is your very presence that is the source of an irritation to a world that wants nothing to do with the Lord. So last week we talked about the fact that we talked about love as a choice. So love is a choice, and it's true because, uh, you know, first of all, don't ever come to me and tell me you fell out of love because that's nonsense. Can I get an amen to that? Because that's talking about feelings. And love isn't just a feeling. Love is a choice. Amen? Amen. And agape love is loving someone outside of yourself more than yourself, so it's a selfless love that esteems others, and they don't have to earn it. It doesn't mean that you, you determine whether or not they're valued by it or worth it. It's a choice that you make to love somebody. And you know what's amazing to me? When you choose to love somebody, the feelings will follow. Amen? And so it's love is a choice. And so last week we saw a choice that is reflected by our actions. First, we're to love one another. By this, they will all know that we are my you are my disciples. You have love one for another. We have one mind. We have we're to have compassion. We're to love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. You've heard me say the blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. When you have Jesus in common, you have everything in common. If somebody comes here that doesn't know the Lord, they should be blown away by how much we love each other. Amen? Hey, every time we have church, it's a family reunion. Amen? We all have the same dad. We're all going to heaven. We're going to spend eternity together. Let's start loving on each other now. So love one another. But then we saw last week something a little more difficult. Love your enemies. It's easy to love, the, love those who love you. The world does that. We're to love our enemies. And no, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. And if we only love those who love us back, we're no better than the world. And then finally... Loving life. You know, here's the reality, and this, this is, I think, an epidemic in the church. We can look around at the world, and we can see how difficult it is and how hard it is, and we can just push away from it, want nothing to do with it, and we can even say, well, let's just go to heaven. And, and look, I say that. I would, if the rapture was today, you would not hear any objections from me. I would love it. And the more and more people that I have that I love that are in heaven, the more and more I want to be there. But you know what? God came, Jesus came might have life and life more abundant. And we should love the life we have because we have an opportunity to walk with the Lord, to know him and to make him known. And may we not murmur and complain about the life that God has given us, but thank God for it. Amen? Amen. 
And we should be people that, you know, when I first came to work for my company, I don't know where I got this, but every time someone would say, how you doing? I'd say, life is sweet and God is good. And I was in my early 20s before I was a pastor. Life is sweet and God is good. And I would just say it automatically all the time. And before you knew it, the, the receptionist, I'd walk in, she'd go, life is sweet and God is good. And I'd say, amen. But the reality is life is sweet and God is good. We're blessed that to, to, I can't imagine living this life without him, but it's a joy to live this life with him. Amen? Doesn't mean we're not going to go through trials, but we need to have a heavenly perspective and be thankful for the life God has given us. So he just talked to him about love, that love is a choice, to love one another, to love your enemies, to love and be thankful for the life that God has given us. Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came that he might have life, life more abundant. So now the very, very next verse he begins to talk about dealing with persecution. You know, love your enemies, love the life God's given you, and yes, you're going to go through trials. If you outline, grab it. There's five points in just uh, five verses. First of all, when you're persecuted by the world, not if, but when, by the way, in the world you will have tribulation, the Bible says. So we are going to go through trials. We are going to have times where we're persecuted for our faith. Certainly not to the degree at this point that the early church was, but we are going to face difficulties. Number one, when you're persecuted, it is a blessing, not a curse. How is that possible? How is that possible? Uh, these things I have spoken to you, that in you may, you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. When we are persecuted, by the way, if you've never faced any level of difficulty, persecution, or objection for your faith, you're not living out loud enough for Jesus. Amen? If you're an undercover Christian, you don't tell anybody you're saved. If your next door neighbor you've lived next to for 10 years doesn't know you're a Christian. If your coworkers you've worked with for a year don't know you're a Christian, maybe you're not saved because, guys, we need to be speaking up. Amen? Amen? By the way, if I was married to my wife of 37 years now, if I was married to my wife for a year and nobody knew I was married, that's a problem. <laughs> Amen? If I've been married 10 years to my wife and nobody knows, I should be in prison. Can I get an amen? The point is, I love my wife, and I love to introduce my wife, and I love to wear this wedding ring because it's a reflection of the fact that I belong to her and she belongs to me, and we've made a lifelong covenant. But guess what? We don't have a ring that's our lifelong covenant, down payment on who we are in, in, in our marriage. We have the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us who will never leave us nor forsake us. And it's a 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week reminder that we belong to the Lord. And just like I love to introduce my wife, I ought to love to introduce Jesus even more. Amen? He is the passion. Guys, when you're persecuted by the world, it's a blessing, not a curse. It just means that God's using you. You know, Satan's resources are limited, right? He can't go after everyone. So who is he going to go after? Those being used mildly by the Lord. Amen? So guess what? I've said this before, I hope, I hope that if Satan has a 10 most wanted list, I hope I'm on it. I really do. You know, I have people say, well, I hope I, he, I, I you know, because Satan doesn't even know all your names, but he, I'm like, well, I hope he knows my name, and some, I have friends who say, I hope he almost knows my name. You know what I mean? I, I want to live for the Lord, but not that loud. <laughs> you know, that the greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So it's a blessing, not a curse. Number two, you have nothing to fear. The possibility of suffering for doing good should not cause us to shrink back from doing good. 
See, part of the temptation in this early church was, well, Christians are being fed to lions, and so maybe we should, and then they're being persecuted, and they're being put to death, and they're being imprisoned, so maybe we should just kind of dial it back. Maybe we should only meet and privately and, and not talk out loud about the Lord too much, because if we talk about him, we might face persecution. Guys, may we never shrink back from doing good, because in doing good and honoring God, it may result in us being persecuted. Amen? Number two, number three, it is an opportunity to defend the truth. Often our best opportunity to share our faith is when we're going through difficulties, when we're going through trials, when, when we're being persecuted by the world. The world looks at us to see how we're going to respond. Fourthly, it is an opportunity to display his character. When Jesus was persecuted, what did he do? He prayed for those who persecuted him. When Jesus was being beaten, he prayed for them. When they mocked him and hit him in the face and said, prophesy who hit you, he was going to go to the cross for that person. See, we need to have that same heart and opportunity to display the character of God. And then finally, it's far better to suffer persecution from the world for doing good than to face God's righteous judgment for doing evil. Amen? I'd rather be judged by the world and be faithful to God than be faithful to the world and judged by God. Amen? Let's begin there, looking at... When you are persecuted by the world, it is a blessing and not a curse. Again, 1 Peter 3, verse 13, there it says, and he's just been talking about love, talked about prayer, he talked about the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, making a stand for the things of God. And then he says this, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? The emphasis on this verse is the sovereignty of God. So God is sovereign and God is faithful. We can trust his character. So if we're being faithful to the Lord, God certainly is not going to harm us. Now, the world may come after us. Uh, By the way, Satan can't do anything unless God allows it. Amen? Amen. People are always wanting to cast out Satan and throw this to Satan. Forget about it. Let God have Satan. Can I get an amen to that? Lord, you got him. Let the Lord have him. Amen? And we need to focus on the Lord. We need to focus on being faithful to God. And so he's telling them here that who will harm you if you're followers of what is good? God is in control and this hand of protection is upon us. In general, it speaks to the fact that doing good and obediently following the Lord's command is in a sense a source of its own protection. Now, I'm not saying that if you walk with God in the center of his will, you won't face trials because you will. But Temptation comes from the, the enemy, and, the te- and whenever he tempts you, you don't have to do it. God will give you a way of escape. So temptation comes from the enemy. God does not tempt us. But the Lord does allow trials to come into our life that we may grow spiritually and that he may be glorified. Amen? So temptation is an opportunity to grow. Trials are an opportunity to grow. And in the midst of all of that, there is protection in obeying God. Again, I would rather face persecutions at the hands of the world for obeying God than face the righteous judgment of God for disobeying him. God has given his word to guide us and to grow us and to protect his children and our loving heavenly father who seeks to keep us from harm. It says, who will harm you? This speaks of the fearless confidence in God's protection from harm. The word harm there is injury or evil or hurt. But notice that while God is indeed sovereign, there is a condition attached to this promise. Notice what he says here. Who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? 
See, if we live outside of God's will and we're living contrary to his word and we know what the word of God says and we choose to do just the opposite, we don't have that covering that comes from the Lord in those circumstances. Now, God will forgive you if you've done that. And he will, he, you know, he's a gracious God, a loving God, and a merciful God. But the consequences of those choices can and often will still remain. Amen? If I go out and commit adultery, my wife might forgive. I can ask God to forgive me and he'll forgive me, but my wife might not. And my marriage might be destroyed. And I'd be out of the ministry. And my children wouldn't have respect for me. And when people heard my name, they wouldn't think, oh, he was a pastor for 33 years. They'd say, oh, that was the guy that committed adultery and no longer can be a pastor. See, we can choose to do ungodly things and the consequences will come even after God has forgiven us. Amen? So there's protection and obedience. Amen? When you walk, you know, again, if, you, if you're walking inside the guardrails, right? We talk about the law as a guardrail that keeps us from driving off the cliff. If we stay in the lane where God has us, there's protection. If we go off, off-roading and we're not prepared for it, consequences can come. If you become followers of what is good, the word follower there is a mimic or an imitator. can also be translated zealous, surrendering our lives to him completely. It goes beyond a half-hearted attempt to to be obedient to God's word. By the way, you can't obey something you don't read. (laughs) Amen. And just like ignorance is no excuse when the cop pulls you over, I didn't know it was a 40-mile-an-hour zone. Get over yourself. You didn't read the sign. Can I get an amen? The ignorance is not an excuse. And the same is true if you don't read the Word of God. By the way, the Bible rocks. Amen? Amen. This is the, I'm telling you, it's a love letter from Almighty God to you. Holy Spirit, when you open it up, the Holy Spirit speaks to you through the Word of God, illuminates the truth to us. And the enemy wants to do anything he can to keep you from opening up this book. You used to equate this to, like, again, looking at me now, you never know. When I was a young man, I was a competitive bench press guy. After playing college football, I wanted to do something competitive. So I was really into working out. I work out four hours a day, six days a week. I scheduled my life around working out. And, you know, at the time, even though I'd work a full-time job, I was newly married, you come home, and it's a lot easier to sit in a recliner and eat a bag of chips and watch a baseball game. So going to work out was, was not always easy. But I was always glad once I got there that I went. And I often would equate that to reading the Word of God. There's always something else that can distract you from opening up your Bible. But I promise you, when you open it up, you'll never regret it. You'll always be glad you did. Amen? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by. And people say, I want to have faith. You know, John Corson, one of my favorite Bible teachers, he used to say, Pastor John, I want to have faith like you. He said, you can. Read the Bible as much as I do. Amen? You see people of faith, you see them being able to stand in the midst of trials. I promise you there's somebody who reads the Bible. Amen? Why can some people stand in the midst of great trials and other people crumble in the midst of the smallest inconvenience? Because one person is spiritually mature, because one person has faith and that person has faith. I promise you it's tied to their prayer life and their time in the word of God. There's no substitute for it. By the way, it's better to read books in the Bible than books about the Bible. <laughs> Amen? Yes, Open it, read it, obey it. It'll transform your life. So he says, be an imitator. 
Again, not a half-hearted attempt at obedience, but speaks of a hunger and a passion to walk with God in faithful obedience. As a believer continues to pursue God and walks in faithful obedience to Him, he can trust that even in the midst of the greatest persecution and attacks from the world, that God is in control and indeed will watch over and protect him. Now, as we'll see in the next verse, this does not mean that one who walks in faith and obedience will never deal with the world's attacks or suffer persecution or suffer loss. But it does serve as a warning to those who would call themselves Christians and let, yet live lives of open rebellion. Do you know when you're walking in rebellion against God, what's the answer? We all do. Holy Spirit comforts us, He also convicts us. And, and we need both. Amen? We need to be comforted when we're hurting, and we need conviction when we're outside of God's will. Amen? We need that Holy Spirit head slap. Hey, what are you doing? Get back over here. Don't, you don't, amen? Every time you're ready to sin, doesn't that happen? Every time you're being tempted or being drawn away? As born-again believers, our sins are forgiven. We're going to heaven. But rest assured, rebellious behavior again has consequences. God's grace is freedom from sin, not permission to sin. Amen? We've been freed from sin and death, but it's not permission to continue in sin. So the context, recipients of this letter are dealing with incredible persecution, so much so that some would be on the verge of walking away from the Lord. This is just too much. I can't do this anymore. I've been persecuted. I mean, my family doesn't want me. I can't go to the temple anymore because now we're in the new covenant. I, I, I've been thrown out. I'm away from my family. I've had to run away to a foreign city where I don't know anybody. Uh, if I'm out at night and if I preach the gospel, I talk about the Lord. I could lose my life. My family's in jeopardy. I can't get a job because I'm standing for the things of God. You know what? I quit. And there was a percentage of people that that's where they were. And Peter's writing this letter to them and encouraging them. By the way, where else are you going to go? Who else has the words of eternal life? Amen? Where else are you going to go? Some were thinking of walking away. Many, no doubt, were tempted to at least, if they're not going to walk away, at least dial it down. I had a friend that used to say that to me all the time, and it would just get me angry. He'd be like, Pastor Dave, sometimes you just need to dial it down. Show me the Bible verse for dial it down. <laughs> it's in first hesitations or something, right? <laughs> dial it down. Quit being so on fire for God. Why do you got to talk about the Lord all the time? Just keep it to yourself sometimes. Sometimes it's uncomfortable to be around you because you talk about the Lord all the time. We know it, it ought to be uncomfortable if you don't know the Lord. Amen? Be kind, be loving, be gracious, be humble, but be unashamed. That's what God's called us to do. Don't give up in the face of persecution. Don't give up in the face of great trials. Don't give up when your 28-year-old son dies. Love you too. We grieve, but not as those without hope. Amen? Amen? And our God is faithful. And when trials come, we don't run from Him, we run to Him. Amen? Because He's the one that comforts us, He's the one that strengthens us. And because He sent His Son to die, I'm going to see my Son again. Amen? And so, so the trials of life. Uh, will reveal where we are spiritually. And, you know, sometimes we will want to dial it back. We'll want to shrink back. We don't want to, you know, if I just go along, if I just go with the flow, 
won't catch so much static for my faith. Well, any dead fish can go with the flow, amen? We're not called to do that. But what about faithful believers who've been beaten and tortured, even martyred? See, when these verses coming from Peter, some of these are like, well, well God's going to protect us if we, you know, if we obey him. But, what, but wait a minute, my, my friend was fed to a lion and he was faithful. I've got, I've got friends who are, who are sitting in a jail cell right now. What about them? Next verse, next part of verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. So here we see that suffering and enduring for the Lord's sake, for the sake of his kingdom, is not a result of a lack of God's love or concern for us or some kind of divine punishment for falling short in our walk, but on the contrary, it reflects a great deal of confidence on God's part that this is someone he can trust to remain steadfast in their testimony in the face of such incredible persecution. Again, John Corson, I mentioned him a lot. He's one of my favorite Bible teachers. John Corson lost his wife. Ten years later, lost his daughter. Ten years later, lost his son. Never wavered. So when I read, he has a book called The Future and a Hope that I've reread several times since Mark went to heaven. And it's just a reminder that if we have an eternal focus, we haven't lost anything. They just got there before us. Can I get an amen to that? That the trials that we go through in this life are, are but, but light affliction when compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. It's amazing since Mark went to heaven, how many pastors I have found out now. I talked to a dozen pastors who all lost kids. And I don't think that's by chance. I know we all go through it, and I'm not trying to elevate anything. But the point is that when, when we're being faithful to God and being used by God, we've got a big target on our back from the enemy. And he wants to come after you. And he want, if he can get you to walk away, if he can get you disgruntled, if he can get you to, to give up, he's won. But I promise, no matter what you're going through, don't ever give up. Run to the Lord, not from him. Amen? Hold on to him with both hands. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Amen? He's in the fire, and he never leaves. He's a faithful God. He says, you are blessed. Wait a minute. Blessed are you, it says, when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you, falsely for my name's sake. This is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Again, Satan's resources are limited, so if he's going after you, it's funny, I had a guy at our church in Santa Cruz, whenever he would hear that you were going through a trial, he'd go, dude, you're blessed. <laughs> and he was one of our greeters. His name was Manny. He'd stand at the door and he'd go, oh, what happened? You lost your job. Dude, you're blessed. God's going to do something great, bro. It's exciting. Let me pray for you. Manny. <laughs> you're so blessed, bro. What happened? Oh, yeah, yeah, you're blessed. Oh, you lost your house. Oh, you're blessed. God's going to do something great. Can't wait to see it. Let God be glorified. Some people would avoid Manny when they were going through tough times. <laughs> Which door is he at? I'm going through the other one. But that perspective, does God still love you when you lost your job? Is he still going to provide? Still faithful? Yes, he is. We trust the character of God. We don't focus on our circumstances. We focus on the Lord. The word blesser is, oh, how happy. It's hard to imagine when you're in the midst of persecution. But again, look at the examples. I'll just give a few. Daniel. Daniel's in a lion's den taking a nap. Unafraid. Amen? 
And King Darius, who was duped by his other, you know, leaders into outlawing prayer. And then when they outlawed prayer, Daniel didn't go hide. He didn't shrink down. He knew that if you prayed out loud, you prayed anybody but to Darius, you're going in the lion's den. He threw his windows open like he did every day, and he just started praying. And I imagine those guys, the other, you know, wise men, the other council that hated Daniel because they never had any answers, and he always did because they didn't have the Lord, and he did. And they'd get upset. And they couldn't find a way to get rid of Daniel. By the way, he'd been there 70 years by then. And 70 years later, here he is, still second to the king all the time, being used mightily by God. So what did they do? They tried to outlaw something that they knew they could catch him in prayer. We can't catch him in adultery. We can't catch him in this. We can't, catch, you know, we can't get him to lie. We can't get him to cheat. can't get him to steal. Let's just outlaw prayer. What does Daniel do? He throws the windows open and he prays out loud. And I just imagine those guys sitting out there with a bag of, you know, with popcorn and, you know, chairs waiting for that window to open up so they can run and tell the king. And they ran and told the king and Darius knew he had been duped and he was upset and he's in the palace tearing the palace up all night long realizing that oh no I've thrown Daniel into the lion's den and he runs down in the morning and he says Daniel you know you paraphrase you still there did your God deliver your God whom you serve faithfully did he deliver you? And God delivered him, and then the wise men got thrown in the lion's den, proof that they weren't just not hungry because they all got eaten up before they hit the ground. So they were protected. Daniel was protected, and the ungodly were not. Amen? But guess what? It's better to be in the lion's den with the Lord than in the palace without him. It's better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him. Amen? And he's waiting there, and then when the next fire comes, he's already there waiting. Lord, I'm with you. I'm with you. I won't leave you. What happened? God did a great work. Daniel was protected. God was glorified. King Darius was impacted. You know what he said after that? We're not going to pray to anybody, but Daniel's God from now on. He went from pray to me to pray to his God. No, no, not me. Pray to the God of Daniel. Why? Because God showed up. Guys, if we go through persecution, we go through trials, we remain steadfast in our faith, and we're unwavering, and we continue to have the joy of the Lord, the world around us is going to be impacted by that. Why are you so different? Told you this, our, my office in San Jose, they kept coming to me every time they had a job opening. They said, do you have any more Christian friends? <laughs> yeah, I got quite a few. Can we hire some of them? Get some more down. Because you know what? All you, all you Christian people, first of all, you're all, you never complain. You're always on time. You do your job. As until, you, do, you work really hard. You got great attitudes. Man, we love having you guys here. Can we get more of you? And I'm like, praise God, Amen. Because what does that mean? It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with him. Start calling us the God squad. And, and we had this Bible study. And then my Muslim boss got saved. See, God can do that. If in the midst of, see guys, a faith that hasn't been tested is faith that kind of be trusted. So when our faith is being tested, it's an opportunity for the gospel. It's an opportunity to reflect Jesus to a lost and a dying world. To let them see that our hope is not in your bank account or, or in your stock, or your stock portfolio or in your job or in your health or whatever it might be. If your faith is in anything you can lose, you're in trouble. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Job was sifted by Satan. Paul and Silas were thrown in prison. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in a fiery furnace. Do you think any of them are in heaven right now bummed out that they went through that trial? Or are they blessed that God chose to use them through that trial that he might be glorified and lives might be changed. Amen? So we need to praise him no matter what. Point number one, 
Persecution, you're, when you're persecuted by the world, it's a blessing, not a curse. Number two, the second part of verse uh, four, 14 there, you have nothing to fear. Look what it says. Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Now again, why does he say don't be afraid? Because they're afraid. Amen? If a guy's not afraid, you don't have to go come up and say, don't be afraid. Duh, I'm not afraid. But when people are afraid, here's what Peter's saying to him. Look, I get it. You could be fed the lions. You could be thrown in prison. You've lost your family. You may not be able to work. You don't know how to go provide for yourself. There's a temptation to be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of their threats or be troubled. The possibility of suffering for doing good should not make us shrink back from doing good. Words of great encouragement and exhortation for those who are receiving the letter because they were tempted to shrink back. The word do not be troubled there. Don't be afraid, alarmed, frightened, and awe. The word trouble there is don't be stirred up and don't be agitated. You ever get agitated? Lying to sin. You ever get agitated? Yeah. He says don't be agitated. Don't be agitated. By the way, I don't think Christians should ever complain either. I don't, complaining is not a good look. I've told you this. I've told myself... Eighth grade, I told you this, eighth grade Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame thing for the uh, yearbook. They come to my, oh, you got to go out there for that. I'm thinking, well, I either got most athletic or most humorous, one or the other. I got biggest complainer. I'll have to bring it in some week and put it on the back table. <laughs> biggest complainer. Well, that was a Christ-like example, wasn't it? Now I complained that I didn't win humorous or uh, you know, <laughs> most athletic. But that's not good for, as Christians, what do we have to complain about? No matter what happens, are we still going to heaven? What's the answer? No matter what happens, is God still faithful? Why are we complaining? And if we're at work and we're complaining and we're murmuring and we're doing that, and then we invite people to church, why would you want to go to the church of the complainers? Can I get an amen to that? Amen? We should be different. You have nothing to fear. Don't allow the threat of suffering to cause you to shrink back because he joins us in the fellowship of our suffering the bible says amen there's fellowship that comes in suffering don't be troubled as christians we need never fear men and again god has not given us a spirit of fear but a power and love and a sound mind we all have times when we fear though amen yet tell them don't be afraid these are christians don't be afraid because they were being fearful but they were fearful because of their circumstances a mature believer in the midst of persecution is not fearful and frightened or in awe, not stirred up or agitated, but walking by faith, empowered by the Holy Spirit. I tell people this all the time when, for me, this is just me, when I face difficulty, it just makes me want to say charge. It just makes me want to double down on, on my walk. Can I get an amen to that? If the enemy's coming after me, God must want to use me and I don't want to miss that. And so I want to double down on my walk. I want, to, I want to just, Lord, you know what? I surrender even more. I thought I'd surrendered it all, but obviously what I'm going through now is harder than anything I have, and I still surrender it all. Why? Because, Lord, you're faithful. And, Lord, because I can trust you. And who else has the words of eternal life? And, Lord, I want to see you use this for your kingdom and for your glory. I promise you that God already has and will continue to use. My son going to heaven at 28 years old, God has already used it, and he will continue to use it. And I will praise him through it because he is a faithful God, and heaven is better, and we can trust him. Amen? Amen. He's a faithful God. Amen. And the enemy wants you to run away. He wants you to shrink back. 
He wants you to be mad at God. That's foolish. Point number three. You have nothing to fear. It is an opportunity for you to defend the truth. Look at verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So as believers, he says, sanctify yourself. The word sanctify, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. The word sanctify means to reverence, to set aside as holy. We should have reverence for God. We don't revere anybody but God. I know someone doesn't know me when I get letters that say Reverend Dave Johnston. I'm like, they don't know me because I will never, don't, I, I reject being called Reverend. Amen. We revere the Lord not men. Amen? And what he's saying here is that you sanctify the Lord in your hearts. Have reverence for God. The exhortation is Jesus is to be the very center of their lives. Look, I know you're facing trials. Yes, I know if you go out and witness this afternoon that you could be thrown in prison. This is what Peter's telling him. I understand all that you've lost in the midst of this. I want to encourage you, revere him in your heart, honor him, and go live for him and let the chips fall where they may. Go honor God. Go serve the Lord. You'll never regret that. You won't regret that in heaven. He is to be preeminent in my heart, my love, my passion, thoughts focused on him above all else. Again, in times of great persecution, it's easy to put my eyes on my circumstances and the size of my enemy. It's too easy to look and see 11 foot 750 Goliath like everyone else did. The entire army of Israel saw 11 foot 750 coming down. I defy you, right? You can just see Goliath. Everybody else shaking in their boots. And David, teenage boy, delivering cheese to his brothers to check up on him, says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against my God? See, he didn't see 11 foot 750 against a mere man. He saw a mere man against almighty God. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And so there's that, that Holy Spirit just entered the camp in Israel when King David at 13 or 14 years old showed up. And I love that. And our heart ought to be in the midst of great trials is, Lord, charge. Lord, you're greater than this. Whatever you're going through, think about whatever it is you're going through right now. I don't care what it is. God's greater than it. Amen? Amen. Whatever that situation is, You've got an unsaved spouse. You've got a rebellious children. You've got, you've got a job situation. You've got health problems. You've got financial problems. God's greater than every single one of those things. And we need to pray and put it in his hands and trust him. Amen? God is greater. God is greater. We're to seek wisdom from him, not from the world. But in times of persecution, sometimes we run to the world. Or we take, put our eyes on the size of the enemy. Or we pursue our own selfish desires or we run and hide. Peter says instead, if this persecution is going to affect you, let it drive you to the Lord, not from him. This persecution or this trial you're going through, whatever it is you're going through in the midst of your life, whatever it is, it should call, it should have, if it has an impact, it should cause you to run to the Lord, not run from the Lord. Run to him. Hold on to him with both hands. Trust the Lord. Midst of our persecution, find our peace and our hope and our rest in Him. Let me ask you a question. How many parents do we have here? Okay. If there's a house on fire and your kids or grandkids are in there, which direction are you running? 
You're running into the fire. The, the, the firefighters can try to tackle you. You're going to knock them down, run through the door, and surrender your life to retrieve your kids and your grandkids because you recognize that their life in your mind is more valuable than your own. Can I get an amen to that? Well, guess what? In the midst of the fire, we should be running to the Lord, not from him. Run toward the fire. Run toward the Lord. Amen? You know, what, you, know, you know what someone who does, who runs from their children in a house on fire, you know what that, that's a coward. Amen? May we not be spiritual cowards. May we not faint in the day of adversity. Oh, it's too difficult for me. I'm just going to go hide. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account of one whose heart is loyal to him. God's looking for men and women who will say, Lord, I'm here. I'll run to the fire. Let's go. I'm in. How do you want to use me, Lord? I'm in. Whatever you want to do in my life, I'm in. Whatever the question is, Lord, the answer is yes. Can you imagine if every believer had that heart, what would happen in the world around us? Amen? Help us in the midst of persecution. Now, notice he does say, and again, it's so easy to question God. Why me? Why did this happen? He's quoting here from Isaiah chapter 8. The last part of uh, verse 14, beginning of verse 15. Do not be afraid of those threats or be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God and always be ready. Some to be ready to share our faith, to be ready to make a stand for the Lord. And, and this was during a time, you know, the verses he's quoting from when the southern kingdom, if you've been coming here on Wednesday nights, uh, of Judah and its king Ahaz, who we just looked at not long ago, had threats from the enemy and he ran to the king of Assyria to get help. So what did he do? He was threatened by the world, so he ran to the world to get help from the world to overcome the world. And you don't need to know that it didn't work out. And as believers, when we're threatened by the world and the things of the world, we don't run to the world, we run to the Lord because he has overcome the world. Amen? So we run to the Lord. Now he says, always be ready to Give a defense to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. The context, in the midst of persecution, people watching how you respond to being reviled and treated unfairly and overlooked for promotion in your case or mocked by other kids in your class if you're in school. It is in context that the door is opening up for, to, for you to share the gospel. So when persecution comes, you be ready to share the gospel. The word there for defense is apologia, where we get apologetics. Apologetics doesn't mean apologizing for the Bible. It means defending the Bible. And the only way you can defend it is to know what you believe and why you believe it. Amen? So if, if, you, were, if you were in a situation where God brought a divine appointment and you went over to a friend's house and he had a dying relative who was sitting there, and they, none of them knew the Lord. And the person who's dying says, you know what? I need to get right with God. I just don't know how to do it. Would you be able to explain it to him? Would you be able to tell him how to have a relationship with the Lord? Would you be able to answer some of the questions he has? We don't have to all be, you know, you don't have to know the whole Bible to be able to be used by God. But knowing the whole Bible does help you being used by God. Can I get him into that? But the point is, can you share the hope that lies within you? You remember all the words to the songs at the junior high dance. If it came on the radio tomorrow, you could sing the whole thing. Can I? Amen? But we can't remember Bible verses. Where your treasures, their heart will be also. 
So he's saying, look, be ready, be prepared. Here, what do we do on Sundays? Here's what we're doing. What is a pastor called to do? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. My whole heart is, and I'm being equipped myself. By the way, you get this for an hour, I get it for 30. So you, get, you, you feel convicted for an hour, I can feel convicted for a week. Okay? And, the, and I tell people often, God made me a pastor because he knew I needed to be in the Bible 40 to 60 hours a week. Amen? The point is that this is what we're called to do. You come here and you should leave here with a better knowledge and understanding of the character of God, the grace of God, and the word of God than when you got here. Amen? Preach the word, love the people. There's my six-word philosophy of ministry. I want you to be the best fed and most loved people. And that's what we're called to do. And so we want to give you the word of God. Here's the thing too. If we keep feeding you steak, you're not going to be happy with pablum anymore. Amen? If you get the word of God, you want to go home and read more of it. And that's the hope. And that's the exhortation. The door is open for the gospel to share. Man, that was wrong. They didn't promote you. You've heard how other kids are laughing and making fun of you. You know, God will often allow a personal trial to open a door for a public testimony. Be ready. The word there is prepared. We should be living every day in anticipation of divine appointments. I promise you, if you pray for divine appointments, you'll get them every day. That's a prayer God will answer. Lord, give me a divine appointment to share my faith today, to either encourage a believer, to share the truth with an unbeliever, to minister to somebody. You know what happens too when you pray? You're more aware of it. You're more ready for it. You're looking for it. Amen? Amen. You don't just walk by it with your head down. We must also prepare ourselves for the divine appointments. How do we do that? We study the word. Study to show yourself approved. A workman who need not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Start off by, we got the yellow slips on the back table. Read through the Bible in a year. Just start reading it. If you're new in your faith, it's okay. Just read it. If you don't fully grasp it, just ask God to help you understand it and just keep reading it. And by the way, the pastor's here. Not that we have all the answers. We just know where they are. If you have a question or a concern, call us. Ask us. When are we to be ready? It says there always. Always be ready. Not sometimes. Not, well, I'm tired. I'm out. Amen? Have any of you ever had an opportunity to witness somebody and you were just tired so you went home? I, really? Can someone else talk to you? I'm tired. I, you know, and there's a mentality we can have sometimes. Or I'm just, you know, I'm relaxing. It's been a long day. Guys, we should always be ready and always be excited. Be ready in the grocery store. Ready in the elevator. When you're watering your lawn, when you're walking the halls at school, people need Jesus always, and we need to always be ready. The word again, defense, is as apologia. We should know what we believe, why we believe it, and how to share the gospel in a very simple way. You know, I'm just thinking about this right now, but we're going to do it. I don't know when soon. We're going to set up like a Sunday afternoon class on how to share your faith. We're just going to do it. Hold me to that, Tim. Where are you? Remind me. We're going to do that. We used to do that in Santa Cruz all the time, once a year. How to share your faith. Spend an hour just teaching how to share your faith. Make it real simple. And I love it too because it just reminds me. It's a good thing. Amen? We need to know how to share our faith. Nothing wrong with studying the cults and other religions or preparation to share with them, but it's far more. For every minute you study anything else, spend a hundred studying this. Amen? Well, I'm studying up on the Mormons so I can. Okay, how much time have you been on the Word this week? Because you know how you know the counterfeit? You know the real thing. Amen? Spend time in the word of God. It says to everyone who asks. So be ready at all times to speak to anyone. God will bring them in your path if you're ready. 
They'll come and say, why didn't you fight back? I heard about what happened with the boss. Why didn't you fight back? I got Jesus. God's in control. He's going to take care of me. I'm not worried about it. Oh, that's an opportunity for the gospel. Amen? Amen. By the way, people that say my faith is a private matter need to get saved. <laughs> well, my faith, it's just a private thing between me. Go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Amen? That's everybody. It's a great commission. It's not just for the pastors, it's for everybody, amen? Well, my faith, it's just something I keep to myself. You don't know Jesus then. Well, it's my marriage, whether I'm married or not, it's something I just keep to myself. I don't, I don't really talk about it. I don't want anybody to know. It's just kind of between me and maybe a wife I might have. No, no. <laughs> Guys, we don't keep it to ourselves. But notice it says with meekness and fear. Meekness is mild and gentle spirit. Meek does not mean weak. We hear meek, we think like a little wheezy little mouse or something, right? Meek doesn't mean weak. Uh, the, one of the best examples I've heard is those Clydesdale horses, right? Remember the old Budweiser commercials of every Super Bowl? Um, uh, yeah, the pastor mentioned beer at church. I don't drink, though. But here's the thing. Those Clydesdales are meek because they're strong, but they're under the control of their master. And that's what meek means. It means strength under control. So we want to have strength that comes from God, but under control of our master. And we want to do it in meekness and in the fear of God. Don't be arrogant. Don't be self-righteous. Don't act like a Pharisee and point fingers at everybody else. Holiness for me, grace for everyone else. Again, that's the heart of God. Verse 16, we may not get to seven. We'll see. It says, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. See, you want to live in such a way that those who are mocking you because of your godly behavior will be ashamed. That people will, you know, I had a new guy come into my office. I'll never forget this. It was, it was insane. He comes into my office. He's brand new. I've been working. This was in San Jose still. I've been working with the company for 20 years. His cubicle is across from mine. He gets up, walks over to me and says, this is a work environment. You need to take all your Christian stuff down. And I mean, right now. And that's how he introduced himself to me. And I'm like, my name's Dave. How you doing, bro? Well, I'm offended by that. I put it there to offend you. That's why it's there. <laughs> the cross of Christ is a stone of offense. Amen? He really hated the one that said, April Fool's Natural Atheist Day. Because the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Can I get an amen to that? And he was just upset and uptight. And he was squirming. And well, a guy that's sitting next to me, played for the 49ers, big duty, walks over. He goes, dude, man, that's Pastor Day, bro. Dude, no, man. He's going to love you. He's going to help you. He's going to he'll help, help take on sales calls. He'll do everything he can to help you. But he ain't taking that stuff down. Bro, you haven't even heard him talk yet. <laughs> Point is, we need to be ready when those opportunities come. And by the way, that guy became a really good friend of mine. I talked to him about the Lord. He never did get saved that I know of. But I talked to him about the Lord a lot. And, he be, and because I helped him at work and because I was kind to him, he didn't have any friends. He moved here from England and he would come, he came to my house for Thanksgiving. I mean, let's just love on people. Amen. And at the same time, be ready when those opportunities come. Have a good con. So when, when, so when people speak evil of you and, and said bad things, he went into my boss and said, well, that guy out there. And she's like, He's the nicest guy in the office. I don't know what you're talking about. He's kind. He's loving. I'm going to have you ride with him for a week because he's going to teach you how to do this job. You know, you know he's a nice guy. The point, is, the point is, though, that may we live in such a way that when people say evil of us, even other unbelievers will defend us because they see God in us. Does that make sense? 
I go, no, no, I know. They're kind, they're loving, they're gracious. Lord, help us. Conversely, if you proclaim to know God and live ungodly, you bring shame to his name. You say you're a Christian and you're cussing and screaming and just complaining and murmuring at work and always got a bad attitude. And we had a guy in our office that was like that. And I, I went to by his desk and I told him, you need to take your Christian stuff down or start living like you know Jesus, bro. You're a bad example. By the way, if you're going to go 90 on the freeway, take that Christian dove off the back of your car. <laughs> Better idea is slow down and live like a believer. Let's finish. We're going to go a couple minutes over. The game's not till 3.30. Look at verse 17. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Guys, it's better that if we're going to suffer, let's suffer for doing good because we're standing for God and we're being attacked by the world than living outside of God's will and suffering because it's the righteous judgment of God. I would rather stand for God and suffer at the hands of the world than stand with the world and suffer at the hands of God. Amen? Amen. May we live in such a way that whatever trial we go through, it had to get through God's hands first. And we can trust him. None of us is going to escape suffering. Nobody wants to suffer, but we're not going to escape it. We're all going to suffer. Christianity is not a cruise ship to heaven. It's a battleship anchored at the gates of hell. And the enemy will not prevail against it. We're not on a cruise ship waiting for the Lord to come back. We're in a spiritual battle that goes on every day. We have an enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy but greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we don't need to be afraid. I hope this chapter got you as fired up as it's gotten me. I hope it's gotten you excited about the things of God. But if we must suffer, let's suffer for doing good. Let the world persecute me for loving Jesus. I'm okay with that. But I don't want to stand before God and face righteous judgment because I dishonored him. Amen? See, either way you're going to suffer either for standing for God or walking in rebellion against God. May it be for suffering for him. Amen? Amen. So in closing, when you're persecuted by the world, it's a blessing, not a curse. It's an opportunity for the gospel. It's an opportunity to point people to the Lord. Be of good cheer. He's overcome the world. You have nothing to fear. Again, there's a possibility of suffering for doing good should not cause us to shrink back from doing good. Number three, it's an opportunity to defend the truth. Often our best opportunity to share our faith in words uh, comes during persecution. People look at you, they see how you respond, and it's an opportunity for the gospel. It's an opportunity to display his character, to be an example to the world around us. Again, it's easy to say you're a Christian when everything's good, when the family's all good, when everyone's healthy, when everything's great, and it's another thing to continue to walk by faith in the midst of the greatest trials of your life, whatever they may be. And then finally, it is far better to suffer persecution for the world, from the world for doing good than to face God's righteous judgment for doing evil. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being your children, your sons and daughters adopted into your family. But Lord, we know you didn't adopt us, so we just go lay in our crib forever. Lord, you adopted us to use us, to grow us, to mold us into the men and women of God you called us to be. Lord, you've adopted us into your family that we might represent you well, that we might know you and make you known, that we'd be unashamed of the gospel, and that, Lord, we would let other people know they can be adopted too, that you're our heavenly father, but you can be their heavenly father too.
Lord, I pray for anybody here that's going through great trials, difficulty, maybe even persecution at work or whatever it might be, from, even from family that doesn't know you, whatever it might be, Lord. And Lord, I pray in the midst of it, they would run front to you, not from you. That, Lord, we'd always keep our eyes on you, that we would praise you no matter what. Though you slay us, yet will we trust in you because you're a faithful God. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said,